Hello, 1 Samuel 26. The Ziphites came to Saul in Gibeah, saying, Doesn't David hide himself in the hill of Hakilah, which is before the desert? Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul encamped in the hill of Hakilah, which is before the desert, by the way. But David stayed in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came up after him into the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies, and understood that Saul had certainly come. Then David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay, with Abner the son of Ner, the captain of his army. Saul lay with the place of the wagons, and the people were encamped around him. Then David answered and said to Ahimelech the Hittite, and to Abishai the son of Zeruiah, the brother of Joab, saying, Who will go with me to Saul to the camp? Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and behold, Saul lay sleeping within the place of the wagons, with his spear stuck in the ground at his head, and Abner and the people lay around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has delivered up your enemy into your hand today. Now therefore please let me strike him with a spear to the earth at one stroke, and I will not strike him a second time. David said to Abishai, Don't destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against Yahweh's anointed and be guiltless? David said, As Yahweh lives, Yahweh will strike him. Or his day shall come to die, or he shall go down into battle and perish. Yahweh forbid that I should stretch out my hand against Yahweh's anointed. But now, please take the spear that is at his head, and the jar of water, and let's go. So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head, and they went away. No man saw it, or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from Yahweh had fallen on them. Then Yahweh went over to the other side and stood on the top of a mountain far away, a great space being between them. And David cried to the people and to Abner the son of Ner, saying, Don't you answer, Abner? Then Abner answered, Who are you? Who cries to the king? David said to Abner, Aren't you a man? Who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not kept watch over your lord, the king? For one of the people came in to destroy the king, your lord. This thing isn't good that you have done. As Yahweh lives, you are worthy to die, because you have not kept watch over your lord, Yahweh's anointed. Now see where the king's spear is, and the jar of water that was at his head. Saul recognised David's voice, and said, Is this your voice, my son David? David says, It is my voice, my lord, O king. He said, Why does my Lord pursue his servant? For what have I done? What evil is in my head? Now therefore, please let my Lord the King hear the words of his servant. If it is so that Yahweh has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is the children of men, they are cursed before Yahweh, for they have driven me out today that I shouldn't cling to Yahweh's inheritance, saying, Go, serve other gods. Now therefore, don't let my blood fall to the earth, away from the presence of Yahweh. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea, as, one, as when one hunts a partridge in the mountains. 
Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do you harm, because my life was precious in your eyes today. Behold, I have played the fool and have erred exceedingly. David answered, Behold the spear, O king. Let one of the young men come over and get it. Yahweh will render to every man his righteousness and his faithfulness. Because Yahweh delivered you into my hand today, and I wouldn't stretch out my hand against Yahweh's anointed. Behold, as your life was respected today in my eyes, so let my life be respected in Yahweh's eyes. Let him deliver me out of all oppression. Then Saul said to David, You are blessed, my son David. You will both do mightily and will surely prevail. So David went his way, and Saul returned to his place. So this is the second time that, that uh, David has spared Saul's life. It's not the second time that Saul has been hunting for David. He's tried to kill David many, many times. And he's stuck on this one thing because of his jealousy. And we did talk about that in an earlier chapter. So David is hiding at a place called Hakila, which is on the very, well, it's kind of on the edge of the Judean desert. If you go to Israel today, there's all different types of topography, but in Judah, a big portion of it was what they call the Negev, the desert, the wilderness. And it's a great place to hide because no one really wants to go there. But it's also a terrible place to be because there's not a lot of resources. And so anyway, David's there, the Ziphites dob him in again, and so Saul is after him. Now David hears that Saul's coming and sends out spies. And it's quite a few times in the Bible that spies get mentioned, and here's another one. And the spies uh, work out, yep, he's definitely here. <laughs> Poor David. After the last time he spared his life, he must have thought, you know, after showing him such respect, I'll be safe. But no, Saul has no such respect back. It doesn't matter that you spare Saul's life, he, he, he doesn't seem to care. He continues after his goal. He just, he just must have thought David was an idiot for doing that. And um, it's hard for me to understand people like Saul and the way they think. But for a lot of people, they don't understand David and the way he thinks. But David, David is like Christ. And in this chapter here, David treats Saul the way Christ treats so many people. It's, it's hard to believe the kindness of God to people and the way that people treat God back in return. You think about the average unbeliever who has no regard for God. Well, they may not deliberately be out to get God, but they just have no regard for him. But there are people around us we know who deliberately set out to, to target God. They set out to undermine some of the biblical commentators I read, it's like it's their mission in life to undermine the Bible. I don't understand it at all. And it's like Saul. And you, you'll know people who are, we call them militant atheists. And you may not know one personally, but they're certainly on YouTube. And they set out to, to target God and destroy him. But you know what the Lord does in return? He preserves their life. He gives them chances. He gives them chance after chance after chance. It's the kindness and the patience of God. And David is a picture of Jesus Christ. And of course, we know in the future of Saul that he eventually comes to the point where the Lord judges him. And that is what ends up happening to people if they don't repent. But the Lord is so patient and so gracious, just like David here, sparing Saul's life. You know that Saul had a spear. 
And it, it seems to appear in so many of these chapters, you know, there's a time that Saul's sitting on his throne holding his spear. David, he attempts to kill David by throwing the spear several times. He tries to kill Jonathan by throwing the spear. At other times it says he was seated under a tamarisk tree holding his spear. And in this story, he was sleeping, in, you know, in the wag among the wagons with his spear next to his head stuck into the ground. So this spear seems to be following him everywhere and it's a sign of his insecurity. <laughs> it's like he's so insecure, he never knows what's going to, to happen. He doesn't know who's against him. He's gotta have a weapon with him the whole entire time, his spear. So it's a sign of insecurity. And in this story, David sneaks in at night. It's, a, it's it, an undercover moonlight mission. And he sneaks in at night, and the Lord, of course, caused them all to sleep deeply, and David gets a hold of the spear and takes it. And, um, if you think about that, there's a picture right there of Jesus Christ coming to take away our insecurities. And he's willing to take away our insecurities, and, um, but a lot of the time we want them back. And in this story, Saul sends a young man to go and get his spear back. He gets his insecurities back and he clings onto them and he doesn't change. Now you imagine here for a minute that Saul had said to David, you keep my spear. You know, you've been honorable. And that would have been a sign of respect to David. It would have been a sign of acknowledgement that, you know, you're a good man and you've protected me and, you know, you can keep my spear. And imagine that. If Saul had done something like that, it would have changed him. But he wants to hang on to his insecurities. And the Lord, he wants to deliver us from things. And he actually comes into our life and he, he takes things from us. Happens in, you know, we pray and we say, Lord, deliver me. And he does. But then we take back our problems and we hang on to them. It's terrible. <laughs> we all do it. I've done it. And we'll probably continue to do it, but we need to, to hand our things over to the Lord, our problems over to the Lord, and then by faith, walk as though we don't have them and refuse to take them back. And so there's grace for that too, if we seek it. And so you imagine that if you're, now imagine that you're Saul soldiers here in this moment. This is the second time this has happened. Um, and they see David sparing Saul's life on two occasions now. What are you going to think if you're one of Saul's soldiers? You're gonna think <laughs> that Saul's a bit psychotic, but David's the real guy. And you're, 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 your impressions of David are going to be good. And eventually when Saul um, does die and David becomes king, you know, he, he legitimately becomes king. He has the loyalty of his people. And a lot of the time what, what has happened in um, history is when someone becomes king through a coup or an assassination, they become king not because they've got the love and admiration of everyone, but because they're just more powerful. So they, they hold onto their position through fear and power. Because David, he was certainly to be feared and he was certainly powerful and a great warrior, but when he became king, he had the love and the affection of his people because of the type of thing we read in this story. And a lot of people in life, they try to get ahead through you know, political maneuvering in the office or through going around behind people's back and tearing down someone. And they try to get ahead through human means, but eventually when they get to the position that they want, if they get there, it's not held onto by grace. It's held onto, you've got to have the same cunning to keep that position as what you had to get that position. But when the Lord brings you into his promise, 
like he did with David. And when you do things the Lord's way, you're properly established in such a thing. And you know, the, the house of Judah or the house of David, it went right through king after king after king. Even when there were calamities in the throne, as we will discover later on in the book of Kings, um, it, was, it, it was son after, there was one dynasty. But you know, in the northern nation of Israel, because eventually this, the country splits and becomes two countries, the southern country remains Judah with the lineage of David. The northern nation becomes Israel. We'll learn about that later. They go through multiple dynasties. People attack, they assassinate the king, they take on the kinship, then they get assassinated by someone else. And it's all just crazy. But David refuses to participate in such craziness and his kingdom is permanently established. And it's a picture of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ comes not to, to be served, but to serve. But because he came with that attitude, he deserves to be served. And we owe him our allegiance. So I guess a good question to ask would be, if David had a killed Saul right here, or on the other occasion when he had an opportunity, would his dynasty have lasted? Would he have had the love and respect of all Israel? Would, would his lineage have led to the king, you know, to Jesus? Well, we can't say for sure, but it seems like must, much less likely to have done so. One final thought. In this chapter, Saul clearly justifies his means. Now, it seems like at the end of this chapter that he's repenting. He's not repenting. The first time, he kind of repents, but this second time, there's no repenting. He just simply says to David, the Lord is with you and you're favoured and you'll succeed. He never says sorry. He never, um, there's no change of heart. Saul justifies his actions. And you know what? That's what everyone does. In, rather than justifying the Lord, a lot of people justify themselves. So they change the Bible to make themselves be right because people want to do what they want to do. So they, they twist the reason why they do things to, to, to come up with a good reason for it. And um, there's plenty of examples I can give. But if you're feeling a pang of conscience about anything, make sure you pay attention to that because that could very very well be the Holy Spirit talking to you that something you're doing is not right. And rather than ignoring it and justifying yourself, rather go to the scriptures and say to yourself, am I doing what is right? And make sure you're the one that changes to fit in with God, not you change how you think God sees things to fit in with you. Heavenly Father, I ask for grace to be the people of God. We see the sins of Saul are so easily the sins of our own. Lord, forgive us for justifying ourselves. But we also recognise in this passage the mercies of Jesus Christ, always extending love and patience. And today, Lord, we receive them. Lord, and we thank you for them. We thank you for your kindness. And let our hearts always be soft before the King of Kings. I pray your grace would be given to us to live the way of Christ. So, Lord, thank you for David and his example in the Scriptures. In Jesus' name. Amen.